What's up, Banter fan? It's your host, Miles, and today I want to talk about the future of Solana. There's been a lot of talk and speculation about whether Solana is dead, whether it can actually recover to even a fraction of its peak bull market price, and in today's show, I want to do a full analysis of the Solana ecosystem and work out whether this is a coin that could potentially be worth buying during the bear market or whether it is dead forever and we should move on to other layer ones. I think some of my findings from my research here, I think, are very interesting and I think there are a lot of points I want to make in today's show that might help you guys going forward in the Solana ecosystem. So in today's show, I'm going to talk about why Solana exploded. So the market need for Solana and the and the conditions that created the Solana explosion in 2021. I want to talk about how the metrics were potentially inflated and led to a valuation that was potentially overvalued compared to other projects. I want to talk about Alameda's involvement as well and the other VCs that were involved that created a set of conditions which resulted in Solana being being one of the top performers on the market and also the network issues and outages which caused a lot of FUD surrounding the network as well as a deep dive into the developers and the NFT community and then finally answering the question is Solana dead and is it worth betting on or should we simply move on it's going to be a massive show so smash the like button if you are excited and let's get straight into the show the first topic I want to discuss is the reasons why Solana exploded now to understand why Solana exploded let's actually frame what Solana is and what conditions that the coin are launched in in 2021 so Solana is a blockchain platform designed to host decentralized scalable applications it was actually founded in 2017 as an open source project which is run by the Solana Foundation based in Geneva. They have two founders, um, Anatoly and Raj, who are heading the project. Now, obviously, the major draw card for Solana is its speed and its low fees. So Solana is much faster than other blockchains like Ethereum in terms of the fees that um, it can produce, how low they are, and also the speeds that it can produce, how high they are. Sol is obviously the token that powers the Solana network. So that's the token that you use um, when you're bridging on and off the network, when when you are conducting uh, swaps on the network and getting involved with uh, the DeFi and the NFT ecosystem. Sol is that token. Um, so that's the underlying token that powers the Solana network. Now, Solana was one of the biggest performers in 2021. It actually pumped 12,000%, making it a top three performer of the 2021 bull run. And I think that's why it's taken a lot of people by surprise how stark the dip has been because of how successful the investment was in 2021. Now, even personally, Solana was one of my top dollar investments from the 2021 cycle. I was luckily, um, I was lucky enough to get out around $200, but still, um, I had some remaining exposure to the, to the ecosystem, which hasn't performed so well. And I think, you know, a lot of people are sitting here now and and taking a step back and saying, well, either this is one of the greatest opportunities in crypto to buy a beaten down project, or it's one of the biggest failures in crypto and putting your money in a chain like Solana is a complete loss. Of course, we are going to answer that question in today's show. Now, the reason why Solana obviously exploded and had so much momentum behind it was because of the L1 rotation narrative. If you guys can remember back to 2021, Ethereum gas fees were crazy. Now, I have the chart of Ethereum gas up right now. We can see, especially towards the start of the year, when that bull run was in full force, when everyone was entering the market, the average gas price was monumental and it created this real demand for block space because the network could simply not handle the amount of demand for transactions. And then a lot of other L1s started to come to the fray as this whole block space narrative um, started to gain momentum because there was simply a lack of block space on ETH and other competitors that could provide cheaper, faster alternatives. They really started to um, gain traction and Solana was 
obviously one of them. And this this is essentially what started the L1 rotation narrative, which obviously resulted in you know other projects like AVAX and Phantom and those L1s um, exploding as well. But Solana was one of the first, if you can remember back, to actually explode. It had a really strong driving narrative behind it, which was that it's the ETH killer. Now, of course, like every crypto in 2021, it was powered by a crazy influx of liquidity coming into crypto. The amount of stimulus the government created with stimulus checks enabled retail to now have more discretionary income to spend on the crypto market. And obviously, there was a huge amount of money printing that took place. The most money printed in any single year, or we almost doubled the money supply in terms of the US in the space of a year. So having all that liquidity coming into the market resulted in tokens gaining a lot in terms of their price and their market caps. Now, this was a set of conditions that was unprecedented in the history of crypto. It's the reason why the last bull run was the biggest crypto of all time and maybe in terms of percentage increase, the biggest bull run of all time. I mean, 12,000% returns on layer ones are almost unheard of. And I doubt we ever have a set of conditions that favorable again with the amount of money printing as well as low interest rates. You guys have to remember how crucial the low interest rate factor was last bull run. Risk assets are priced higher in a low interest rate environment because yields are unattractive elsewhere. So if you think of how interest rates work, the higher the interest rates, um, the more you're going to get on investments like treasury bonds and putting your money in a bank account. But what happens when you have low interest rates is there's not many places for you to earn money. If you put money in your bank account, you're earning 0.1% yield. If you put money in a treasury bond, you're earning 1% to 2% yield. It's not that attractive. So what a lot of people did with really low interest rates was flock to risk assets. Now, crypto being an extension of the stock market, it gained more traction than the stock market in terms of its percentage returns because it was in an environment where people were chasing yields but simply couldn't get them. And one of the only places to get this was in crypto. And this led to extremely aggressive risk asset valuations. And this is the reason why we had such a favorable set of conditions for crypto. Obviously, the stock market had a huge pump post-COVID, but um, we can see here on the, on the Bitcoin chart as well that crypto also had a massive run-up. And altcoins, as we know, they're almost an extension of Bitcoin. So when Bitcoin runs, altcoins tend to run a little bit harder. And that's one of the reasons why the conditions were very favorable for Sol. So I think it's important to frame why it was such an outperformer. The metrics, though, were misleading. And unfortunately, from a price perspective, obviously as a holder at the time, but looking back in hindsight, unfortunately, having the combination of misleading um, metrics in tandem with unprecedented money printing, unprecedented stimulus, unprecedented retail demand for crypto, this resulted in the perfect set of environments for Solana to become, in hindsight, as I said, very overinflated in terms of price. And we know now that the mystery, that the metrics were misleading as there were many dApps on the Solana chain that were, I guess, faking their TVL. So we learned that Suya, one of the developers of Sunny Aggregator and Saber, he was actually um, faking development. So uh, essentially what he did was he faked uh, to be 11 developers but him and his brother were developing the Sabre application. And what they did was essentially interlocked DeFi protocols to inflate liquidity on the platform. So what happened is the TVL on Solana skyrocketed because they were double counting uh, TVL from Sunny that was stacked on top of Sabre. So both these, um, every dollar that entered the ecosystem, it was almost double counted for, which resulted in the TVL increasing at twice the pace as other chains. Now TVL, um, as a metric that is used to kind of measure the traction of blockchain, 
blockchain's getting. A lot of people were looking at this and saying, wow, Sol's exploding. And this definitely contributed to why the price rose so sharply because you had, as I said, a favorable set of conditions, but also at the same time, you had that real spike in TVL. And we can see Solana hit 10 billion in TVL to become the second highest TVL chain after Ethereum. And this only helped fuel that ETH killer narrative. But obviously since then, TVL on Solana is almost non-existent. We saw a huge amount of liquidity exit the ecosystem as the market proceeded to go risk off and the, and obviously combined with the network issues, the FUD that we're going to get to in a few minutes, that resulted in the most exaggerated decrease in TVL of any chain. And it's obviously why Solana sits where it is today at only $214 million worth of TVL and it barely sits in the top 10 anymore for TVL. The other metric that was very inflated at the time was actually transactions because of two things. One, Solana counts NFT mints as transactions. Obviously, if you mint an NFT, if you trade an NFT, that is going to count as a transaction on chain. And the thing is, the NFT ecosystem was so vibrant at the time, and there was so much hype behind NFTs because that was really the way for retail to get into crypto that we saw a lot of NFT mints and a lot of NFT trades taking place. And these transactions were showing up in Solana's transaction count, as well as the fact that they count transactions in an unorthodox way on their scanner, Emin, the founder of AVAX, said Solana numbers are inflated because they count consensus coordination messages as if they are genuine transactions. So this is the consensus speaking uh, to different blocks, which was counted instead of what other chains um, wouldn't consider uh, a traditional transaction. So that's one of the reasons why those numbers were inflated as well. So overall, we got a situation where liquidity was pouring into crypto, NFT volume was skyrocketing with retail demand, um, all the transactions were, were being countered towards the Solana blockchain, and we had artificial TVL. And it's not hard to see now why Solana hit $250 under that set of conditions. And of course, you have maybe an even more important factor here, which was the VC pump and dump effect. Now, Alameda was a core investor and token holder, as well as the primary market maker of Solana. And Alameda at the time was one of the strongest funds and one of the most powerful funds being the biggest market maker in crypto. We obviously know they had large exposure. Sam did that famous tweet, I'll buy, I'll buy as much Sol as you have right now at $3, uh, sell me all you want, then go F off. And we could see um, under their investments list here, highlighted in the red, that uh, under Clifton Bay Investment a subsidiary of Alameda Research Ventures. They had a restricted token purchase of the sole token as well um, as an initial investment in their seed round. Now, if we actually look at the Solana Foundation sales to FTX, it's pretty crazy because it's apparent that the Solana Foundation sold around 9 to 10% of the total supply. It's a huge amount to SBF and Alameda. So this is kind of crazy. We can see Solana disclosed this in their ecosystem update that the Solana Foundations were selling equity um, to Alameda Research as the counterparty. They sold 4 million Solana on August 31st, another 12 million, then another 34 million, another 7.5 and another 61,000. So it's clear to see why Alameda would have a vest, vested interest here and why they were big backers. Now, after the whole Alameda collapse went down, we obviously know all that's happened with FTX over the last couple months. It got revealed that they held 3.37 
billion dollars worth of soul on their balance sheet, and they also had almost three hundred million dollars worth of unlocked soul and eight hundred sixty million worth of locked soul. So soul that's vesting over time. And I think you could say this is the biggest contributor for why Solana dropped from thirty to ten dollars. It's because of the sell pressure of Alameda and also the FUD off the back of Solana losing its biggest market maker. Now, is this just FUD? Of course, I'll get to that at the end of the show. But I think my initial comment on that is yes and no because obviously when you lose your biggest market maker, that does hit the fundamentals, but the impact beyond fundamentals, the impact to sentiment is vast because one of the reasons why Sol pumps so much is because of that Alameda narrative, because of that VC pump narrative. But the problem is when VCs pump coins, oftentimes it results in them dumping coins because they need to get their um, liquidity. And the way they do this is through exiting via retail. Unfortunately, the way markets work is the ones that get in early they make the most money. The funds that get in them buying the seed round for a dollar or less than a dollar, they make the most money. And then as the price goes up, retail starts buying in. And as we know, markets get euphoric close to tops. Retail loves entering in when prices are going up. It kind of blows my mind. It's like counterintuitive, but that's how markets work. When prices are low, as we're seeing at the moment, people aren't interested. When prices are high, people suddenly become very interested. So when FTX and Alameda were backing the token, they had a vested interest in pumping it as much as possible. I mean, I have personal speculation that I think Alameda was possibly responsible for um, actually artificially manipulating the price. We know they had a lot of dodgy tactics. We know they were kind of levering up using consumer funds to buy assets. Highly likely they did the same with Sol, and it's one of the reasons why it pumps so much. And then when they dump, it's also one of the reasons why it dumps so much, because they were one of the biggest holders, and they are dumping a lot of their unlocked and locked Sol, um, especially when they were trying to defend the FTT peg. We couldn't actually verify this, but it was a big rumor that they did dump all their unlocked Sol. Obviously, though, there is still locked Sol to go. Jusu said, $8 billion of longs and $8 billion of hedges is a euphemism for selling all of your clients BTC and ETH for Sol and FTT. This is on the SBF testimony when he said he was hedging. This would certainly be the biggest short on real coins in the industry um, in, in the history of the industry. And what Zushu is alluding to here is the fact that um, SBF used client money, used consumer funds to actually long uh, Sol and FTT and selling their Bitcoin and ETH. Because when people were depositing to FTX, they deposit Bitcoin and ETH. Alameda was presumably taking that or allegedly taking that Bitcoin and ETH and then selling uh, that for assets that they wanted to invest in like FTT and Sol that they were big backers of to get the price up. So essentially they were shorting the Bitcoin and ETH pairs versus Sol and FTT, which is going to result in a, a huge amount um, of price increases for the, the tokens in question here, obviously being Sol and FTT. So all that kind of frames you guys to where we are today of why Solana pumps so much and also gives us an understanding of why it dumps so much because Alameda were big holders and a lot of the metrics were artificially inflated and you can't play, you can't play hot potato forever. Eventually someone has to drop the potato um, and when it gets too hot and that's exactly what happened here. Solana got too hot and the retail that were holding the potato, they're the ones that ended up dropping it because they were the last holders and, and a lot of other um, entities, Alameda included, they got out... A lot of their holdings, um, even before uh, the, the huge price decline started to happen, and before obviously the macro environment pivoted and 
most altcoins ended up crashing. I don't think um, it, it would be reasonable to assume that Solana would be anywhere near its all-time highs, even if Alameda was still going strong, even if there were no outages like we're going to get into now, because every coin's dropped. I mean, just look at the landscape of Layer 1s right now. Most Layer 1s are down 80 to 95%. Now, Solana being down 96%, it's an outlier, and for good reason. However, I think it's unrealistic to assume that it wouldn't have dropped because it would have, and even prior to FTX, it was still sitting at $40, um, even, even before all that stuff went down. And this was largely off the back of um, retail kind of starting to lose trust in the chain. Now, the first thing that resulted in that lack of trust was the network outages. So outages really started to earn Sol a bad reputation amongst the community. And we can look at their graph here, which shows the uptime of the chain. And we can see that even as far back as January 2022, there were a lot of outages. And if we go to the next quarter, we could see there was an outage every month, April, May, and June, where blocks stopped processing. They had a couple of really good months. And then in September, there was another very famous outage, which resulted in the network going down for four hours. In October, there was another network outage, and it kind of highlighted just how centralized the Solana network actually was. And this was one of the reasons for the decline prior to, to the FTX collapse. Now, Solana also had some big, big, big events where the network was down for hours on end after bugs to cold storage transactions. Um, and the network was congested at many other times throughout the year as there was a lot of NFT minting going on. And, and at times, this resulted in them having to literally pause the network, press the stop button on the network, and restart the network again. So clearly, um, this is an issue because... People don't like centralized chains in general. So I do think this degrades the authenticity of having a de decentralized network. I mean, why are we in crypto to begin with if it can't be decentralized? I think by and large, decentralization, although it's not highly valued by retail investors, if you have enough issues over time, eventually that's going to start to hit sentiment. And that's exactly what happened with Sol. Now, we have to understand why this happened though. Before we come to conclusions that, oh, Sol is centralized and it's a crap chain and it's a um, VC pump and dump, which I can't kind of hear all the time on Twitter with all the FUD, but let's actually get down to the brass tacks and break down exactly what the Solana Foundation's approach is. From the beginning, their goal was to get to market first. Ethereum, having such problems with its gas fees and network congestion, it wasn't working. And the Solana Foundation, they saw an opportunity to ship code quickly, go to market quickly, and eat up Ethereum's market share. And that's exactly what happened. They launched potentially when they weren't fully ready to do so, but they prioritized going to market in order to gain that market share. Now, this is kind of like a crash and bash approach of entering the market, experiencing problems, and then fixing problems on the go. There's two, there's two ways to approach the market as a newer one. The first approach is what Solana did. Crash and bash into the market, experience a lot of issues, fix the issues on the go, see what works, see what doesn't, use the market essentially as a testing ground, right? And then you have the other approach, which is what like Cardano and Polkadot are taking of going very, very slow, making sure everything's right, being measured, but not shipping code um, as frequently and not shipping it as quickly. And both have their pluses and minuses. Solana's major plus was that it could actually see where it was failing and where it was succeeding. The negative is that you're going to experience a lot of issues and that really starts to hurt sentiment. Something like Cardano, which is super slow, the negative is that it can't really gain much traction unless it's you know fully launched and fully shipping uh, products. But on the plus side, you don't get those same issues and you don't get the same FUD that surrounds those issues. So both are very different approaches, but we have to respect both approaches because it is very different from other chains. That's why I think it's a little unfair sometimes when people bash 
on on soul centralization because i mean what do you expect this is crypto we're not decentralized yet even ethereum is not very decentralized we are in the pursuit of decentralization we're not at the point of decentralization and that's an important distinguishment to make where we're sitting versus where we're going and sometimes you have to be centralized before you can become decentralized and i don't hate that approach when it comes to l1s and this isn't just exclusive to soul um it's also across the board um so let's look into the metrics now and see exactly where Sol's sitting in terms of its speed, its users, and developers, because looking at these stats will help us paint a picture of if the Sol network is really dying, and if it's really dead, and off the back of that, whether it's worth investing in or whether it's worth avoiding. And of course, I do have a take on this. So the first thing to note is that Solana is very fast. I think it's undeniable at this point. It is the fastest chain by active TPS. Now, there are other chains that can do a higher TPS theoretically, but in terms of practice, we can see here that Solana consistently hits between 3 and 4k TPS over a long extended period of time. It does make it the fastest chain in crypto. We can even see that it hits top speeds of 300 TPS. This is well above Stellar, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, ETH, Algorand, Arbitrum, Phantom. I mean, even these chains that are quite fast, like I consider Phantom to be fast. I consider um, BSC to be fast. I mean, they pale in comparison uh, compared to Solana. One of the reasons why the NFT community picks Solana as its home, willingly or not willingly, was just through the effectiveness of its transaction speed. Now, of course, this came with issues. We saw the, the downtime, but it is very fast. Now, if we look at the daily transactions, Solana's still doing a lot more transactions than other chains. So if we look um, today, Solana did 18.7 mil, yesterday 20 mil, the day before 21 mil. We know it has issues with how it counts it. We know that it's not a directly fair comparison, as Emin pointed out. But still, bearing that into account, the Solana network is still being used heavily, and it still has 500,000 daily active addresses, largely off the back of its NFTs, but it's still an important metric to take into account. Now, I think one of the major issues with Solana now, because there's a real sentiment problem, because Solana isn't exactly loved by the community at the moment, because Solana's tied in with Alameda, which obviously no one really likes them anymore for very good reason, the the speculation is, you know, why would a developer develop on Solana now, considering they have an uphill battle in terms of sentiment. Like if you're a Solana dev and you want to build a new dApp, why wouldn't you just build on Arbitrum or Phantom or Ethereum, somewhere where you're not going to be fudded out of the market um, and not have to deal with all the crap that the Solana community is dealing with? And that is a very valid, uh, that is a very valid comment, by the way. And that is my main issue, one of my main issues with Solana, um, that there could potentially be an affected future development because of current sentiment. But we can only go off current data right now. We can't speculate too much because simply we don't know how things are going to pan out. All we can look at is the current development activity. So when we look at the current development activity, we can see that the Solana network is still going strong. Development actually didn't drop post-FTX. Development actually increased post-FTX and is up 315% from the same time in 2021. So there's more developers developing on the chain. When we compare Solana to other chains, it is ranked number five in terms of active development. It's after Ethereum, after Polkadot, after Cosmos, it comes in quite um, close behind at 2.2k weekly commits, according to GitHub data represented on Artemis. So Solana does 2.2 weekly commits, 
Bitcoin does two, Cosmos does 3.6, and obviously Polkadot and Ethereum being the biggest. I think actually Polkadot's quite a shock that it's so high, but we know there's a lot of parachain developers. So Solana actually is still sitting pretty above Cardano, Nia, and Polygon for active develop development activity. And I do think that's an important metric to look at. And also we can see, according to Masari um, using GitHub data, we can see that the number of developers on, on Solana, which is 1,114, is actually up 2.5x year on year, despite despite prices dropping 95% over the same period. So Solana's major strength is its development ecosystem. Anything that threatens that ecosystem, that is a genuine headwind, and there are headwinds. That's why the price is much lower than it was. We have to look at things as they are at the moment, but the development is still quite strong. So I think that's an interesting thing to point out. Now, NFTs. We have to talk about NFTs for a minute here because NFTs are the reason why Solana pumps so heavily in the beginning, and NFTs could very well be the reason why the Solana network ends up succeeding because due to its low fees, due to kind of its community branding, due to its high speeds, it became the NFT chain. And after Ethereum, it is the biggest chain for NFT volume of any chain in crypto. We can see here, even though Ethereum does have the lion's share at the moment, Solana comes in at 6.8 million of daily NFT trading volume versus ETH at 21.8 million. Now in the past, Solana did 95 million in a day at the start of 2022. So there were periods where NFTs were popping off and Solana was at the forefront of that. But it was always number two to ETH. And even now, the percent Percentage uh, discrepancy between ETH and Solar quite similar. So yes, the Solana NFT volume has dropped. Transactions have dropped. Most things in crypto across most chains have dropped. But if we look at the percentage market share, it's maintained it's maintained relative strength. And I do think that's important to note because we can't just look at absolutes like the Solana NFT volumes dropped, like the Solana network's going to zero when like every single NFT um, volume across most chains, apart from Polygon being one of the exceptions with the loyalty programs, has dropped. So I do think it's important to kind of compare where Sol sits to other chains in that respect. And we can see that the amount of um, daily transaction volume on Solana across its marketplaces is still quite high. Yes, of course, it's dropped, but it actually upticked post FTX in November versus October, which is very interesting. Now, one of the major concerns, though, with its NFTs, you guys know this is an unbiased look at Sol, and at the end, I will give you a very unbiased take. Like, seriously, I barely have any exposure to Sol, by the way. I don't have any vested interest in Sol, just to kind of disclose. I, like, I, when I say I barely own any, I hold like maybe 0.5% of my portfolio in Sol, but it's a very small amount compared to what I previously used to hold. Also, I'm not invested in any of the seed rounds um, of Solana. Um, of course, RAN is, but I'm personally not. Just thought that's important to disclose for you guys right now. So I'm doing my best to be objective here and look at the ecosystem um, and kind of dispel some of the FUD and also credit some of the FUD where credit is due because I think it's important to take both things into account. Now, one of the negatives for its NFT ecosystem right now is D-Gods and Utes, two of its biggest projects that are migrating chains. I mentioned before that one of the greatest headwinds to Solana is developers losing faith off the back of sentiment and deciding not to develop on Sol anymore. We have seen this ha happen in the NFT ecosystem. Utes clearly sees the issues with Sol and they, I, I guess, this is a this is a sign that they've lost faith because they're moving to Polygon. D-Gods, one of the biggest projects on Solana as well, they are moving to Ethereum in Q1 2023. And that is not good at all for the Solana ecosystem. But interestingly, 
there was an influx in liquidity into some of the other projects in Solana because with D-Gods leaving Sol and with um, Utes leaving Sol, there is room for another top dog. And that's why we saw OK Bears explode in both its floor price and volume over the past few weeks post the D-Gods announcement that they are bridging. So liquidity is flowing into other projects. It's a sign that the Sol NFT ecosystem is not dead. And if we look at transactions, I mean, it's clear to see that it's not dead. People did a tweet about this saying, now that these projects are leaving Seoul, is the chain dead? And most people said yes. In fact, the sentiment for Solana on social media is crap right now. It's so, 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 so bad, um, which is one of the reasons why I'm making this video to try and give you guys some data to actually allow you to make your own thesis on Seoul because the sentiment is really bad out there and most people think it's a completely dead chain. Now let's talk about community. Solana's community has been quite resilient in my opinion, despite a lot of doubters. I think community is so, so important in crypto because I mean, community is the driver, not only behind price, but behind genuine network activity. And as I said, developers, when they're choosing where to develop on, um, when they're choosing which chain they want to deploy on, they're going to look for the chains with the most loyal communities because they want exposure to users. If you're a dApp and you want users, you want to go where the community is because that's where you're going to get users. That's where you're going to make money, right? If you generate money via fees. So community is so, so important. Now, community is something you can't buy. Community is something you can only do through branding, um, going to market first like Solana did. Uh, hype speculation, which is obviously a major part of crypto, as well as creating initiatives and creating an environment where where community feels comfortable. And I think NFTs are one of the ways that got the community to, to feel comfortable in terms of Solana. And it's something you can't buy. I mean, we can look at pro projects like Nia, even Polkadot to some extent, um, with communities that have kind of quieted, quieted down in terms of the amount they're posting, um, the activity inside the discords, all that kind of stuff. And I think Solana is a standout in terms of the how loyal its community is. And I think when we look at pros and cons for Solana, community is a big one of them. Now, at the conference I did this post, uh, I said, not sure there's another chain with the community as strong as Solana. Conference halls packed, hundreds of projects, double the attendance from last year, bullish on the future of Sol. Now, I said this before the Alameda stuff happened, and I could sit here and hide this post um, because maybe it's a little bit embarrassing that I said I'm bullish on Sol and then it crashed. Um, by the way, I didn't say bullish on Sol as a token. I said optimistic about the future of Sol. So I didn't say I was technically bullish. I didn't even buy any Sol after posting this. But I think it's actually important to bring up um, instead of hiding this post away because when I went to the conference, um, I noticed something. I noticed how loyal this community was and I noticed how loyal the development ecosystem was. And as I said, it's something you can't buy and I don't think we can discount just how strong Solana's community is. And look, obviously it's facing headwinds, but at the end of the day, I don't know if there's another chain that can pack out conference halls like this, that can pack out um, hackathons with developers like this. And I, and I just think it really speaks volumes about the ecosystem that Solana's managed to develop. Now, next year, this may be a completely different picture post Alameda, but as of the last recent conference, I can say that it was quite uh, an optimistic feeling being there. Now, Solana was $30 at the time. Obviously, it dropped to $20 post Alameda and then 11 with a lot of forced selling. But look, I said I was optimistic in November. Um, you know, now we have to look November to December. What's changed? What's changed is Alameda 
for selling. What's changed is some of the sentiment. What's changed is some of the revelations we've got from why Solana was actually so inflated in the very beginning. And those factors certainly hurt Sol's fundamentals. And that's 100% the reason why Sol's dropped so much. The fundamentals aren't as strong as they were during the conference when I posted this. The fundamentals are objectively worse. And we have to take that into an account when we're pricing in um, Solana's true market value, when, when we're trying to work that out. And that's exactly why the market has priced Solana much lower than it was back during the conference and obviously going back to earlier in the year. What I want to do now is kind of, now that you have the metrics, um, look into some of the, the FUD, some of the doubts, and I want to give my unbiased and also analytical take based on my own personal um, experience. Now, it might sound weird that I say unbiased and then say personal experience because they're kind of two conflicting comments in, in one respect. But what I mean is I'm going to do my best to be objective when I when I kind of evaluate Solana and work out whether I think it's a buy um, or a sell, taking into account the metrics we've looked at, taking into account some of the negatives we've spoken about. And I also have a nice summary of the dot points fors and against that I want to go through in a minute here. Before I get into that though, um, I just want to quickly mention a new sponsor of the channel, which I'm very excited to be partnering with, and that's Gains Network. If you guys don't know Gains Network, it's like GMX. It's an Oracle-based DEX, which allows you to leverage trade a bunch of pairs. We can see that G-Trade has access to some of the deepest amount of pairs of any DEX um, and allows you to essentially leverage trade uh, on a DEX. So G-Trade's a very cool product. I'm going to be talking about this a lot more in the future, but I wanted to um, just mention today. Um, so if you do want to trade on Gains network, um, then you can trade using the link in the description. There are a lot of benefits. Um, as I said, I'll discuss this more in future videos, but the Die Vault obviously gives you exposure to the platform fees, which have actually increased uh, a lot recently. They've had an increase in users from 7k to 8.5k, total number of trades from 43k to 73k, monthly trader volume even increased, although the market's quiet right now. And although we had the whole FTX stuff, um, they've still managed to increase their volume and increase their users. So GNS, um, a token that I've been bullish on for a while, um, but also the exchange is quite a good exchange to use. You can use the link in the description to uh, start trading on G-Trade. And I think with them moving to Arbitrum next year, this gives more opportunities in the whole gains network. And uh, what they've been able to do over the few over the last few months has been quite impressive in my opinion. So let's continue to get on with the show. Now, public opinion, my response. Let's look through some of the negative tweets. So James Bull said, Sol was a chain with barely average tech that was artificially pumped by misappropriated customer funds to get attention and hide its major technical flaws. It's a stain on crypto and should not receive any support anymore. We don't need average tech scam chains anymore. James, I will take kind of two approaches when answering your tweet here. The first thing I want to say is that the tech isn't average. I think it's kind of misleading to suggest that it is. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it is still the fastest chain by TPS. It's still highly efficient when it's working. When you say failed tech, yes, of course, it is failed in the sense that it has downtime. Although, um, as I said, that's just due to the approach that they're taking. So I kind of think you need to take that into account as well. And the whole stain on crypto comment, I totally get it because Alameda was a big bad but at the same time, we shouldn't necessarily judge a chain on one of their investors that went down. The actions that Alameda took, obviously criminal, not aren't necessarily reflective of Solana. You could make the argument the Solana Foundation selling Alameda tokens, that is actually the fault of Solana. And I think that is a very, very valid argument, but it's unlikely at the time they knew what Alameda was doing. If they did, clearly we should have a problem with that as a community. So just keep that in the back of your mind. But at the end of the day, um, 
um, we're not supporting the chain because of Alameda, you'd hypothetically support the chain because you think it's fast, because you think that it has a thriving developer ecosystem and a strong community that's worth betting on. So I kind of get where you're coming from, from the tech side of things, but I don't think it's average tech. I don't think that's fair to say because they have been able to um, innovate and their proof of history mechanism, their single global state, some of the benefits that you get from the consensus they're using. I, I don't think you can necessarily just write that off and say it's crap. The other thing I, I would like you guys to consider is the fact that, you know, we're thinking of a multi-chain future where Ethereum and Layer 2s um, rise to the forefront and, and really take up the majority of the volume. But there will be niche chains as well where they can kind of gain their own little niche for themselves. Now, Solana's found the NFT niche. Um, there's been other chains that have found their niches. But I do think we need a non-EVM player in the market. Now, this could be near This could be Say Network or, or Move or Aptos or some of the newer chains launching. But it could also be Solana. And given the thesis that I think we need a non-EVM player due to the bottlenecks that the EVM actually gives you, um, I think Solana's definitely one that's in the picture there. So when you're kind of setting up your portfolios and allocating your portfolios, it's important to have hedges against EVM plays and it's important to diversify. Um, so you've got to pick, you've got to make a choice if, if you're going to play that L1 game that um, between Nier and between like Aptos and Sui and Solana. And, you know, Solana could be a valid way to approach that kind of anti-EVM thing. Now, we obviously know EVM is going to be huge. I'm a big, big bull on Ethereum. Ethereum is my biggest holding, but I also see the validity in having a non-EVM player, especially if the, the ecosystems become more interoperable in the future as we get more innovative DEXs, more ways to, um, you know, transfer liquidity cross-chain and side-chains that can hook up EVM and non-EVM, all that sort of stuff like we saw Near Protocol doing recently. You know, we're going to see more fluidity between chains and that will also help these non-EVM players as well. But as Jacob says, I do think Solana needs kind of a phantom Gitcoin-style grants process to help with new development now that there are potentially headwinds in that respect. James did a thread on why Solana's dead, raised some very valid points. The exact points I raised earlier. FTX being one of the major backers, obviously they've been committing fraud. Multicoin Capital, one of the biggest advocates also took a hit. Um, we also saw NFT projects leave. We saw a lot of paid shills for FTX. Once again, I don't know how relevant it is blaming like FTX's downfall on Solana, but I guess it, they are affiliated, so we need to take it into account. Other misleading metrics, as we discussed before, Sabre and Sunny. These are all valid reasons why you could say Solana is dead. I think saying Solana's dead, though, is a little bit harsh, and saying it's going to zero is harsh, considering um, although there's a lot of valid points in this thread and valid points that I've made earlier in the video, you're kind of discounting the community aspect and the NFT aspect that we talked about before. That is really, it's really always been the driver of the solar ecosystem, even um, withstanding all of those bearish headwinds that the chains had. So let's work out if there's an opportunity here. I want to get into the more of the investment angle behind Solana. I'll we'll recap the positives and negatives, and then I'll give you my take on Solana and whether it's worth investing in, and I'll give you my plan as well. So first thing, my experience at Breakpoint, it was positive. The developer ecosystem is a huge plus. The loyal community is a huge plus. The NFT niche is a huge plus. The high throughput in TPS is a huge plus. The bear case, there's Alameda sell pressure when, as their tokens are unlocking. One of the reasons why it's dumped so much is because the market is anticipating a lot of tokens being unlocked via Alameda because they're going to have to unlock. They're going through chapter 11 bankruptcy. They're going to need to dump tokens onto the market, even if they've dumped most of their unlocked tokens already. It lost its biggest backer, obviously Alameda being a major market maker. This does genuinely hit liquidity in the ecosystem. And it also hit DeFi. We've seen multiple great DeFi products like Serum essentially collapse because they didn't have liquidity. 
And one of the major reasons is because of the Alameda um, market maker factor now not playing into Solana anymore. The loss of trust as well. I think that's a huge point that I spoke about earlier. And that's, does the loss of trust in the ecosystem from a community standpoint, because it's clear from the tweets that I've shown you, everyone hates Solana right now, um, that that could affect future development. I think that's a valid point. But when we're investing, all right, it's not about whether the product is good or bad. It's whether it's a good investment. We have to set aside our biases, right? And every single time we invest, ask ourselves a question. Is this a good investment? And that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good product. Now, that may sound counterintuitive, but Hasib made a very good comment on my show um, on Friday. And I recommend watching the show if you haven't already, because that guy is one of the smartest guys in crypto and he dropped some serious alpha. But he said, there's no such thing as a bad product, only a bad buy. And he, he, he made a statement that even if I had the worst DEX, the worst L1, the worst bridge in crypto, it's a horrible product, but the price is really, really good, then it's a good buy, irrespective of the product. Because he looks purely in the terms of price potential, price appreciation potential versus downside risk, instead of looking at whether something's good or a bad product. Let's take Matic, for example. I think Matic's a good product in terms of their biz dev and in terms of the ecosystem that they're building with all their loyalty programs and partnerships. But at some point, even Matic being a bullish product becomes a bad buy at a high enough price. Ethereum and Bitcoin, they were bad buys at 69k and 4k respectively. That becomes a bad price. So it's not about whether an asset is good or bad, it's whether a buy is good or bad. So I think when it comes to Solana, we have to work out whether at a certain price, even if you hate Solana and you think it's dog shit, it becomes a good buy. So we have to factor in the plus and negative EV calculation whenever we're investing and work out irrespective of whether you believe in it or not, if it's a plus EV investment. Now what plus EV means is plus expected value. It's a it's a terminology derived from poker when you know you have a hand and you work out whether playing that hand um, is over time going to create a net positive result or a net negative result. Um, and when in crypto, you want to be taking plus EV bets, which means you're not going to win every one, but over time you have a house edge and your edge is created by playing on positive expected value. Now, whenever we're investing, we approach things the exact same. And with Solana, it's no different from any other token. We have to look at whether it's plus or negative EV. So you need to take in the bull case and the bear case and work out whether the bullish factors and the bearish factors um, counteract each other and which one has the most strength. So does the bull case have more strength versus the bear case at $11 sol? Or does the bull case start to outweigh the bear case at $5 sol? Maybe the bull case outweighs the bear case at $2 sol. Like you have to work out the dollar amount where um, it becomes a good buy and where it becomes plus EV instead of just saying it's it's bad because it's bad tech. Because I've got issues with the Solana tech guys. I've got issues with the with the future development. I've got, I've got some issues with Solana, but I also understand the bull case and I also understand at a certain price, it becomes a positive EV buy. So that's exactly how I'm thinking of it. Now that it's down 96%, can it do multiples um, that could potentially see it uh, generate good returns for investors, investors despite probably never going back to its all-time highs because I don't think it will. I don't think it will go back to $250, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't invest. It could still go to 100. It could still go to 50. That's still a 5, 10x, 15x, 20x next cycle, which is still a decent return if it does carve out its niche. And who knows? Um, there's a very small chance. I think it's admittedly small, but there's a very small chance it does hit its highs again if um, if the developers keep developing good dApps and users start using the chain and maybe we see some of the FUD start to disperse. So, 
the perspective here is that Sol's a 19x to all-time high, and now, since I did this tweet, it's even more. It's like a 22x to all-time high versus the rest of the market. Is this discrepancy enough to make a positive EV investment? Now, you guys probably want my answer, and that honestly depends on your risk tolerance, depends on your goals, depends on a lot of personal factors, so I can't speak for you personally. You're going to have to make your own decisions, but for me personally... I think it makes sense at a certain price. I don't quite know what this price is. I'm not buying now. I do think there's more downside in 2023. But when I do make my big buys next year, obviously this will include your tokens like Ethereum, your tokens like Bitcoin, and it'll include some small caps I'm bullish on as well, which of course I'll share with you when the time's right. Solana probably does factor in there somehow. Maybe it's 1.2% of my buys. Maybe it's 1.5%. Maybe it's 3%. Maybe it's 4%. I don't know the exact amount I'll allocate to Sol, but I'm going to take a punt because I do think at a certain price, it becomes worth taking a punt and it becomes plus EV given the strengths that it has. Now, likelihood is it probably fails. But here's the thing. We're not betting on probabilities here. We're betting on EV. It could be 90% likelihood that Solana goes to zero, but it can still be a good investment because it's plus EV at a certain price. So you just allocate accordingly. You don't allocate 100% of your portfolio. You allocate much smaller because you're taking a punt that it might succeed, um, even knowing that it probably will fail. And that is where EV comes into play in crypto. And that's what you guys have to understand when it comes to crypto investing is that most tokens are going to fail, but your winners are going to significantly outperform your losers. And that is where you get your edge by hitting those winners, taking losses on the chin. Like the best traders in the world, they'll hit nine losing trades out of 10, but that 10th trade, that's a really high probability trade that they can make 200, 300, 400% on. And since they were stopped out on nine trades, they only lost 50%. So the 200% they made, there's 150% gain there, even though they lost nine out of 10 trades. So you have to understand, it's not about winning every trade. It's about winning on aggregate, winning on dollar aggregate. Now, Solana can present that opportunity in my opinion. Does that mean I'm in love with the chain? No, not at all. Does that mean it's my favorite chain? No, not at all. There's 20 chains I might prefer to salt, but it doesn't mean that it's a bad investment. Um, it can be a good investment. And I think a lot of people, Mike Alfred including, uh, included, James Bull included, even BitBoy included, everyone's jumping on the Sol hate train, but they're not thinking from investment terms. They're thinking in a biased, I'm going to bash on Sol for engagement terms. And that isn't the way to approach crypto, in my opinion. So that is kind of where I view Solana right now. It obviously totally depends on your goals. But personally, I'll be buying some next year. As I said, I have minimal exposure to the ecosystem now. Um, I, I haven't been buying heavy now because I still think it has downside. I still think it could hit $4. I still think it could hit $5. But there will be a time where I take a punt. If you want to take a punt, it's completely up to you. It's completely up to your goals, as I said. But that's something that I'll be doing because I'm interested in betting on the bull case versus the bear case. And that's just a trade that I'll be taking um, personally. It could fail. In fact, it probably will fail. But it's plus EV, in my opinion, at a certain price. Now, the price that you think is it becomes plus EV is... Completely your opinion. You might think we're there right now at $11. You might think we're going to be there at $5. You might think we're going to be there at $3. That's up to you to decide. I can't really guess the price right now because it does rely on Bitcoin. It relies on Ethereum. And if Bitcoin goes down another 30%, then yes, yeah, Solana is going to be a $4 coin. Um, but whenever I'm generally making my buys, Solana will factor in somehow into my thinking, as will many, many other coins, by the way. But it will just factor in somehow at some percentage um, be, because I'm willing to take a risk on it. And that's 
that's kind of my opinion on the Sol ecosystem. And this is probably the best way I'd use to summarize it. You have your bull case and you have your bear case. There's validity to both. You have to out, uh, you have to work out which one outweighs the other in your opinion at a given price. I know I've said it like three times, but I, I really want to drive that point home. Just quickly before I kind of wrap up on this video, I want to shout out the sponsor of the show as well, which is Apex. I talked about Gains before, which was an Oracle-style exchange. Apex is an Audible-style exchange, so you do get different benefits from each. I think both have their validity in certain respects to the market, but the Audible-style exchange probably gives you more native price discovery. So this is one uh, exchange that you can use to trade on. I like to diversify my assets across multiple exchanges, and Apex is one of them. Due to a few of their benefits, I'll just run you through a quick few right now. Firstly, uh, it's not custodial, so they don't keep access to your coins like you'd get on a sex. Obviously, there is there has been a migration to DEXs now, given the recent events that have gone down with centralized exchanges. It's also one of the fastest DEXs when it comes to transaction speeds, so that's also very important. And they do have multi-chain support on Arbitrum, BSC, Polygon, and Ethereum, as well as having a massive weekly trade-to-earn program of $190,000. So they're doing a massive trade-to-earn, giving away millions of dollars. So trading on an exchange that's giving away incentives like that just makes sense. So there's a link to Apex in the description. If you want to check it out, you earn banner rewards, which you can then use to stake um, to earn more rewards as well. Also very low fees, 0.2%, 0.02% maker and 0.05% taker. So it's low fees, fast. um, It's on a DEX, non-custodial and has leverage. Um, so you could trade there as well. So that's your order book exchange. Obviously, you've got gains network for your Oracle based exchange if you want to trade there. So link in the description to that. Um, and also remember, I'm doing my DCAs on nested finance over the next year. So I said I'll be DCAing into Sol at some point. Um, and where I'm going to do that is nested because I'm going to have a six month to a one year portfolio, which I average into over time with a longer time horizon. Um, and I'm going to create different portfolios with different risk profiles. Right now, portfolio one's my main portfolio, which has games network in it. Um, and has Chainlink and Lido and BNB and ETH, Vulcan Forge that I thought was a good buy at the time. Just I just think it's in a decent long-term zone, although it can drop lower. Um, I, I, this is one of the portfolios I'm averaging into. Still mostly stables now, but I will tweak this over time. So if you want a DCA and you're not a trader, because I know not, not all of you are traders, you can look at nested finance as a potential alternative if you are more keen to, to DCA rather than trade. Um, I have that option for you guys in the description. And we are also doing a $1,000 giveaway to a lucky copier of my nested finance portfolio. So that is the Solana video. Let me know what you guys think. Do you agree with the bull case? Do you agree with the bear case? Do you think it's a good investment? I'd be very interested to hear your opinion. Maybe some of my opinions today were unpopular, but at the end of the day, I stand by everything I said because it's EV. There's no such thing as a bad product, only a bad buy. That line from Haseeb, it's just stuck in my head. And and I really, un- it's just a e- really easy way to get people to understand EV. If Solana is a shit product, it could still be a good buy. That is... That, that's the essence of this whole thing. So everyone crapping on on social media about Solana being a bad product, stop thinking like that. Start thinking in investment terms and maybe you'll come to a different conclusion um, because we're here to make money at the end of the day. Like some of you, you're invested in the Sol ecosystem. I 100% respect that. You're in the community. It's all good. For me, I'm not really that deep in the community. I'm just looking at it from an investment 
standpoint. Do I think it's a good buy? Or do, you think it, do I think it's a shit buy? And that's kind of how I'm viewing it. Um, and you know, I'm here to make money at the end of the day. I'm here to help you guys in this market as well. And that's my goal. So I'll look at any project, whether you think it's shit or not, um, and try and, you know, validate a, a thesis one way or another and look at the downsides and the plus sides. So I hope you guys enjoyed this video. Of course, smash the like button if you did. Um, yeah, let me know what you think on the future of Seoul and I will see you in the next one. Peace out.